Are you ready to make a real difference in the world and especially to the people around you? Welcome to the Higher Purpose Podcast, where we celebrate the road less traveled in business, leadership, and life. We welcome you to another conversation that we believe will provide you with the insight and inspiration you need on your journey. Here's your host, Kevin Monroe. Welcome to episode 146 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. By now, you know who I am. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe. And it's a joy to have you join me today, whether this is your first time listening or if you're part of the family and you tune in regularly. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're here whenever it is that you happen to be listening. You know, we're in the middle of the pandemic as I record this, so I hope you are well, safe, healthy, and flourishing. For some of you, today's topic may be precisely what you need now, a boost of hope. And it's coming to you today from my friend, Dr. Rick Rigsby, whom I happen to call the hurricane of hope. Hope follows Rick everywhere he goes. I met Rick back in 2017 and love having him in my life and calling him my friend. The last time he was with us on the podcast was way back in episode 20. That was in December of 2017. We talked about hope then because he had a brand new book out called Afraid to Hope. Well, he's back and we're talking about hope now. Join us. It's pure joy to welcome you, Dr. Rick Rigsby, back to the Higher Purpose Podcast. Welcome, Rick. What a thrill, Kevin. Every time I talk to you on the phone, every time we text, every time we communicate, and of course, every time we communicate via podcast, it's always a highlight for me. It's good to see you, brother. It really is. It's great to see you. And I just looked down, and I think I said something wrong a moment ago when we were just talking before. It's been 126 episodes since you were here last. That was episode 20. So if you enjoy this one, go back and pick up episode 20, Afraid to Hope. And Rick, I think, I know I told you this, you might not remember. That was the most downloaded episode, most listened to episode of the podcast in 2018. You know what I think, Kevin, first of all, I appreciate you sharing that. I think that it speaks to the fact that we're all searching for hope. We all want to be uplifted. We all want to be encouraged. And for people like me and you, what a privilege it is to respond to a calling, literally a calling, to be able to be an encouragement to people. Everywhere I go, people from every walk of life, from the very highest offices to the very bottom of what we would call society, people living on the streets. They're looking for the same thing. And I think that's why that message resonated during your first podcast. I think that's why your podcast resonate with people all over the world. I think that's why my video now is upward of 300 million people. It's not about Kevin Monroe. It's not about Rick Rigsby. It is about being used to be a voice for hope and a voice for encouragement. And I'm telling you, if ever there's been a time that we need it, now is that time. Yeah, if ever there was a time. So you listening, you know I've been timestamping recordings through this. And Rick and I were talking before we hit record. The concepts we're going to talk about today are relevant anytime, whenever it is you listen. But Rick and I are recording this. It's day 55 of the global pandemic. Wow. And it's also 5-5. It's Cinco de Mayo, the day we're recording this. Now, we'll release this a week from today, but tomorrow we mark eight weeks. And so by the time this is released, we're almost wrapping up the ninth week of a global pandemic. And I think a lot of folks may have been a little bit like me thinking, yeah, two, three weeks, we'll have this wrapped up. We'll have this knocked out and things will be back to normal. Well, here we are at week eight. And a lot of people are losing hope. But before we get there, before we go into the hope conversation, Rick, I just have to ask you, what are you grateful for? Oh, man. Right now. 
What is something that you're grateful for? I see you just smile and start nodding. You and I both know what happens when we ground something in the good soil of gratitude. So, Rick, what is something you're grateful for now? I'm a man of faith. The Bible is the word of God and it shapes my worldview. I am so grateful that in a time of uncertainty, I can depend on God. As a minister, I have taken tremendous comfort in Psalm 23. And I've been speaking about that on Sunday mornings during my Facebook Live. And there is one portion of Psalm 23 where David says, I shall not want. I am grateful for being in a position where whether I have little materially or much materially really doesn't matter. Whether I can go to the beach or go to the store or I am confined home and sheltered in place really doesn't matter. Whether my favorite television show comes on or whether I'm reading my favorite columnist or watching my favorite stream really doesn't matter. I am living in a peace where I have no wants. And that is a really good place to be. And I think in large measure, to be quite honest with you, Kevin, that is one of the fruits of a pandemic. You are grateful to be alive. You are grateful for the air that you breathe. You are grateful for the sun that shines on you. Whether you're a person of faith or not, there has to be a gratitude in your heart for the simple things. And I'll just have to confess something to you. I spend so much time running here, running there, flying here, flying there, going here, going there, that you can get so busy living life, you can actually stop living life. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm doing is I'm just responding and very thankful for all the requests, but I'm just responding, responding, responding. These last 50 plus days, they've caused me to sit, to reflect, to ponder, to Think about all the blessings that I have. My cup is literally overflowing as I look in this office of pictures of family, pictures of friends, seeing your face, realizing that we're still breathing. Even if you're sick out there, you're still breathing. Even if you feel you have no hope or no reason for which to hope, if you're breathing, hope still exists in you. And so I think it took a major world crisis for me to slow down enough to realize that I have no wants, that it's not about what I think I have or what I don't think I have or what you have or what they have or what I perceive I need. Kevin, isn't it amazing how little we really need? <laughs> One little thing. <laughs> that I have enjoyed so much, and they're just louder than they've ever been. The birds. Yeah. Every morning, every day, throughout the day, I hear birds singing. And I've shared with some friends, I've been on calls with friends around the world. I think it was last week or week before last. Monday morning, I'm on a call with somebody in California. I hear birds singing. Tuesday, I'm on a call with somebody from Switzerland. I hear birds singing. The UK, I hear birds singing. You know, these birds are everywhere. <laughs> and just hearing birds singing, it's like, wow, I've never enjoyed it Yeah, as much as I am right now. I think it was Leonardo da Vinci who said that simplicity is the ultimate in sophistication. Yeah. Yeah. I am 100% with you, brother. I sit on my patio sometimes in the morning and try to sit on my patio with my wife in the evenings. In the morning, I'm hearing noises that I haven't heard in 40 years. Now think about that. I can actually hear the bunny rabbits hopping about. Mm -hmm. I can hear and see the birds singing and I'm thinking, have I gotten so busy living life that I've taken life for granted? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Yeah, yeah. Not anymore, Kevin. Uh... Not any longer. All right, so Rick, I think when we met in 2017, you had an impact on my life. I think you have this impact on most everyone. And I nicknamed you the Hurricane of Hope. <laughs> I'm laughing because, first of all, 
I'm just not worthy of that. And second of all, you have no idea how terrified I was to be on your show. <laughs> I can tell you exactly where I was. I was in a hotel room in Portland, Oregon. My son was getting married or had just gotten married that weekend. And you were the very first podcast I had ever done. The mm -hmm. video had just went viral a couple of weeks earlier. Yeah. I didn't know what to do, how to talk. I still struggle with, do I look at your face or do I look at the green? <laughs> still going, God, please don't let me screw this up. And please somehow let me answer this man intelligently. And so from your perspective, I'm the hurricane of hope. From my perspective, I am a full-blown tornado just <laughs> trying to make it through the podcast. You were my first podcast. I don't know if you knew that or not. I, I didn't know that. Do you remember this then? Let's have some fun. Do you remember you got so excited at yeah. one point that you did? You and I both talk with our hands. Yeah. You knocked the mic over. Yes. <laughs> I remember that. It was just beautiful. And, and gosh, you know. Oh, gosh. Here's what, and I know you listening to this podcast, because I've talked to so many of you, I know what you love. You love authenticity. Yeah. You love yeah. the real deal. You love not having to peel through layers of veneer to try to find out, well, who is this person really? Right, right. That's right. That's right. You know what I appreciate about you, Kevin? You've been through something. And I want to say this to all of your listeners. Whenever you go through something you know, you're never the same. Circumstances never leave you the same. But if you've been through a difficult season in your life and it breaks you, there's an authenticity that can pour out of you like never before. I love being around broken people. Mm. I do because there's no fake. I had a friend that's passed away, powerful, powerful speaker. We used to speak at Promise Keepers and other events and his name is James Ryle. And he had a definition of humility that I'd like to share. He referred to humility as the absolute God-given ability that eliminates the need to prove the worth of who you are and the rightness of what you do. What I love about you, there's no need to prove the worth of who you are. What I love about broken people, there's no need to prove the rightness of what they do. It is what it is. And I think the world is looking for authenticity. We're really searching for it, aren't we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Okay, so you said thank you for that. Let me just yeah. pause because I could easily just try to throw that off and move past it. But I have friends that are working with me on this. When someone says something like that, Kevin, what do you say? Yeah. Oh, that's not true. No, you say, thank you. <laughs> you don't say, but you just say, thank you and take it. Yeah. In that, you said something, Rick, and that's where I want to kind of, oh gosh, I'm sorry. I'm going to use the word pivot. I'm not using the word pivot like everybody else is using the word. I just want to pivot the conversation. So sure. No, no, I'm just laughing because there's so many words. I was thinking, I'm not going to say unprecedented. I'm not going to say pivot. And there I'm saying pivot. No, Rick, we're all going through something together. Yes. Right. This is something unlike anything else that's happened in my lifetime, where all of us around the world are going through the same thing. Now, we, we're going through it differently, and it's at a different time and a different pace. But this is the first time in my lifetime that everybody is going through something similar. I think you're absolutely right. And that in no way indicates that something like this has never happened before. And it really speaks to something, if you don't mind me just springboarding based on what you said. You know, a crisis requires that we maintain perspective. Mm. And the first thing that's lost in a crisis is perspective. First thing that's lost in jubilation is perspective. I'm really going to get to the thrust of your question, but let me just kind of unpack this for a moment. What's interesting to me is I remember I was so privileged. Not only was I uh, on the faculty at Texas A&M University, but I was also hired by Coach Slocum, a legendary football coach, 
to be his chaplain, as well as his life skills coach, a character coach, if you will. And one of the things I noticed was whenever a lot of our players, especially early in their careers, whenever they'd score touchdowns, they'd jump up and down in the end zone with tremendous jubilation. And I can hear in my mind, a lot of the times coaches saying, hey, listen, act like you've been there before. First thing that's lost in times of jubilation is perspective. First thing that's lost in times of tremendous, tremendous chaos, tragedy, crisis is perspective. I totally agree with you. In 64 years, I've never seen anything like this. But just because we have it doesn't mean it hasn't happened before. Exactly. And I think that it's incumbent upon a leader to lead with perspective. Mm. Now, I can just hear some of your listeners saying, I'm not a leader. I'm a homemaker. Oh, you're very much a leader. I love what John Maxwell said. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. And so I add to that by saying, uh, if you're influencing anybody within the sphere of your periphery, you're a leader. So we're all, in effect, leaders, right? A leader has to maintain perspective. We can be in the crowd, but we can't be of the crowd. And so I have been managing the fear, the frustration, the worry, the anxiety of people all over the world, just like you, talking to little companies and big companies, talking to athletic organizations. I talked to one athletic organization that has lost all of its spring revenue. I talked to one company, I won't call them by name, major, major company, public company on the stock exchange. They've lost 90% of their revenue. They're talking about bankruptcy scenarios. You talk to people who have lost lives, can't replace that. You've talked to people who've lost fortunes. And I just try to help them maintain perspective. And you know what I want to share with your listeners about that? I totally 100% agree with you, Kevin. I've never seen anything like this. So how do we maintain perspective? Well, the sky's not falling. You're still alive. I'm looking at you. I'm still alive. And it's important for me to remember that in 1918, we had something called the Mexican flu pandemic. And I've read articles on that. There was an estimated 17 million to 100 million deaths, depending on who you talk to. We've had Y2K, we've had anthrax, we've had Ebola, we've had E. coli, we've had all different kinds of things. We've had the stock market crash, we've had wars. One of the best things that happened to me that has helped me maintain perspective, and that's the point, even though I've never seen anything like this, I still have to act with perspective. Can I share with you and your listeners a story that really helped solidify perspective for me? Absolutely. During this time, probably a month ago, we got off the road, actually more like about seven or eight weeks ago. Like everybody else, we got off the road. The president of the United States had declared a national emergency, and we're sheltering in place. My wife and I get off the road with no food in the house and our two younger college-age students coming home. That's not a good combination. So I find out by looking at the local newspaper that our local grocery stores, like stores everywhere, they're opening an hour early just for senior adults. I've never been so excited to be 64 in my life, brother. I get up and go to this store at six o'clock in the morning, and I'm greeted with about a hundred other folks in their 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I get hit on about five times, and I'm not talking in a good way. Come on, Kevin. I mean, I'm talking about buggies running Big Daddy down. But here's the point. There was no panic in that store. Mm. I'm talking to folks in their 60s, 70s, 80s, one person in their 90s. They've lived. They've been through a pandemic. They've been through devastation. They were in Europe during World War II, where any second your life could be over. One conversation with this one woman. She said, honey, let me tell you something. Had to be in her 80s. Actually, she called me baby. She said, baby, let me tell you something. My daddy was on an aircraft carrier during World War II that got bombed and his aircraft carrier sank, and he survived. And we will survive this, baby. One hour in a grocery store from 6 to 7 in the morning 
grounded in me that we have to maintain perspective. One other really quick story. One of my closest friends is a child surgeon, neonatal surgeon, I believe that's the term. I asked him, from tragedy to tragedy, how do you give those families hope? He said, I always tell them that there's a child in worse shape. We have to maintain perspective. No matter how bad you are, there's probably somebody in worse shape. And so it's incumbent upon us to maintain perspective. Yes, I've never seen anything like this. Never, ever. You haven't either. But that doesn't mean that we go around saying the sky is falling. That doesn't mean that it hasn't happened before. And somehow that perspective can lead to hope of a better day. Thank you, Rick. I love your story. Probably too long. (laughs) I have a question for you. When we were together last, we talked about this, but I want to bring this one into this conversation because we're talking about hope. It's fundamental to define hope. So how do you define hope? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question. So here I am writing a book a couple of years ago called Afraid to Hope because I was afraid to hope. And I was forced by my publisher to define hope, which is a rather daunting task. Guess where I had to start, Kevin? I had to start by looking at conventional, traditional, current uses of hope. And this is what I discovered, that we have relegated the word hope to the basement of human emotion. Mm. And we've relegated it to the basement of human emotion because of our casual use of the word. For example, I hope it doesn't rain today. Nothing wrong with that. I hope I get a parking spot. Nothing wrong with that. I hope they play my favorite song on the radio today. There's nothing wrong with that. But in doing so, we've neutered the power of hope. So I would make a list of current uses of hope. Then I would read in the Holy Scriptures, the hope of glory, that may you be found uh, filled with hope, and the two juxtapose. One of the lessons I've learned in graduate school, just like so many of your listeners have learned in graduate school, those that have gone, is that anytime you have two opposites, the reality is most likely in the middle. So you have two juxtapositions, completely competing against each other, and typically the reality is right there in the middle. So I searched and searched and searched, and I realized, you know what? The thing that brought me up out of the pit after my first wife died couldn't be a casual fleeting notion. The thing that had the power to cause me to walk away from the casket of a wife holding the hands of two little boys couldn't just be a nice feeling. So there's got to be more to this than some passive, fleeting, wish fulfillment thought. That's what really got me started. I looked at my own life, and I came up with this definition over a period of time, that hope is a quality contained with each and every one of us, contained within us, that places a transformative demand upon the heart to believe for the absolute best outcome. There it is. Can I say it one more time? Please. It is a quality within every human spirit, within every one of us, that places a transformative demand upon the heart to believe for the absolute best outcome. And so what's really interesting is I wrote this book. The book has been received favorably, and I'm so grateful. But from time to time, I would hear a stinger from a business person. Rick, we like your book, but hope is not a strategy. We like your book, but hope is not a strategy. Don't expect me to use hope as a strategy. And for some reason, Kevin, I took it personally. It offended me. Now, this was 2017, 2018. Guess what? Complete change of mind today. I have now realized that they're absolutely right. Hope is not a strategy. Hope is more powerful than a strategy. A strategy is a plan, right? What did you say, Mike Tyson? Everybody's got a plan until they get hit in the mouth. 
<laughs> that wasn't a bad imitation. Oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby. I'm getting a little excited. Better watch my microphone cord. <laughs> a strategy is a plan, right? Hope is a belief. A strategy is external. We can use strategies. Hope is internal. Hope is a virtue. That which, based on our belief system, can improve the quality of our life. You and I know that if a leader wants transformation, she must seek that transformation from within, mm-hmm. augmented by things outside, augmented by data, augmented by all sorts of other variables. But hope places a transformative demand upon us based on the equipment, based on the DNA that we're born with. And so I started thinking about this. I started realizing, you know what? Even when I was in the pit, I never lost hope. I disconnected with it. In fact, my father tried to tell me that. I remember being at the casket of my first wife. I said, Dad, I've lost all hope. You know what he said? He said, son, you haven't lost hope. You've lost perspective. Hmm. You know what I'd like to tell your listeners right now? If you're breathing, you still have hope. Come on, y'all. If you woke up this morning, hope is still residing in you. You haven't lost hope. You've lost perspective. And so I really tried to pinpoint a definition of hope that offered these qualities. Hope is not passive. Hope is active. Hope is alive. Hope energizes. Hope is passionate. Hope is transformative. You know what? For all of the people that say, well, hope is just a fleeting thought, I'm not getting on an airplane unless I know that that pilot has hope that we're going to land. I don't want to work as nice as Kevin Monroe is. If Kevin Monroe doesn't have hope, I don't want to work for him. I don't want to be in an environment where there is no hope. So what is hope, Rick? An expectation. What is hope, Rick? A belief, an absolute unequivocal belief that the best outcome is yet to come, that I can do something to affect that change. You know what that tells me? Hope even trumps optimism. Optimism is a, there's nothing wrong with optimism. I'm an optimistic person. You're an optimistic person. Optimism is this feeling that things are going to get better. Hope is a belief that we are going to pull through, that somehow I'm going to get up, even though she's dead, I'm going to get up and brush my teeth and make my bed and put my clothes on and cook breakfast for these boys and drive these boys to school. And then I'm going to put one foot in front of the other and try to breathe. I want to tell you something. That's where a lot of people are. And if you're there right now, trust me, hope is being reflected, revealed, used, It's dynamically on display in your life. Some of the best days, some of the most epic days of my life was getting up in the morning and saying, I'm just going to put one foot in front of the other and breathe. That is hope personified. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, to go back to the hope is not a strategy. Right. But Rick, I don't want a part of any strategy that doesn't include hope. That's right. That's right. Can I give you just a classic example? Sure. So being on a football coaching staff, we had a strategy for every game. It's called a game plan. (laughs) Just get behind a touchdown or two and watch what happens to that strategy. And the truly effective coaches have to be able to adopt, adjust, and overcome. They have to have hope that their new adjustments are going to work. I think a couple of years ago, the quarterback at Alabama was really struggling. And Coach Nick Saban put in Tua, this quarterback that had never played before. They won the game. You have to be able to adjust. You have to be able to adapt, adjust, and overcome. And it takes hope to do that. And so I agree with you. I remember playing in the Big 12 championship game in 1998. We're playing against Kansas State University. In 1998, Kansas State was ranked number one in the nation. And all they had to do was beat the Texas A&M Aggies, and they would go on to the national championship game. And we were losing decidedly in the first half. Our head coach, Coach Slocum, a man filled with hope, 
a man that executes game plans but is willing to adopt and change. At halftime, listen to this, at halftime, we're losing. I think it was like 17 to 3. Coach Slocum placed a transformative demand upon our heart to believe for the absolute best outcome. What are you saying, Rick? Threw the strategy away and said, we are going to execute, but the motivation is going to be hope, that we are going to believe for the absolute best outcome. This is what he said. Don't worry about the scoreboard. Just play the next play and execute the way you know how to execute, but most of all, change your mindset. Believe for the absolute best outcome. You know what that taught me? That taught me that hope requires courage. You have to have courage to make a choice to move from fear to courage. That's what Winston Churchill said. He said, fear is a reaction. Courage is a choice. And it takes courage to make a choice to say, I'm not going to play the rest of the game the way I played the first half of the game. Hope requires courage. Second, hope requires faith. As a matter of fact, you can't have faith unless you have hope. The Holy Scripture says that faith is the substance of things hoped for. The presupposition is you have to have hope before you can have faith. You have to have something to hope for before you can actually have it. And so faith is a requirement of hope. Those players had to have faith that somehow we were going to perform better. But here's the bottom line. Here's the bottom line that clearly moves hope out of the realm of strategy. Not only does hope require courage, not only does hope require faith, but hope requires this, an immediate, decisive response. Think about my definition. Hope is a quality that places a transformative demand upon the heart. Guess what the coach did? Coach Slocum, what Coach Slocum did was he required, not just from players, but from coaches and staff members, an immediate, decisive response. That's what he did. He placed a demand upon us to believe for the absolute best outcome. That's a classic example of hope in action. By the way, we won that game 36-33 in double overtime. But really, that wasn't the value. The value is for about 100 folks that represented the players, the coaches, the staff, our families, we got a lifelong lesson in the properties of hope, the value of hope, the transformative, dynamic life of hope in our hearts when lived, and how hope is much, 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 much more powerful than a strategy. Okay, so let's fast forward to May 2020 and beyond, facing a global pandemic that we've never seen before, those of us living now. How do you lean into an absolute best outcome at this moment? Because I know there's some of you listening that what you see is everything you've lost at this moment. And you're fearing the absolute worst outcome. You think the worst has happened, and maybe you fear there's yet another shoe to drop. So somebody that's in that situation, how do we help? lift their hearts and go, you know what? There's still an absolute best outcome. Great, great question. One answer that works for me, I'm not going to sit here and say it works for everyone, but I believe it is universal. The answer is this. You have to renew your mind. You must renew your mind. A lot of folks get the credit for this statement, but I usually see it attributed mostly to Frank Outlaw. Listeners, Listen to what Frank Outlaw said on one occasion. Watch your thoughts. They determine your words. Watch your words. They determine your actions. Watch your actions. They determine your character. Watch your character. It shapes your destiny. It all begins with our thoughts. What's the answer? We have to make a choice, Kevin. I have to make a choice every day to think counter 
to the news that we're getting. Now, let me make this very clear. That doesn't mean we ignore the news. You have to be realistic with what you're hearing. You have to use precautions. You have to be realistic. You cannot look at a pandemic through rosy colored shades. But most of the elements of a pandemic are out of our control. What can I control? I can control my response. And here's how I control my response. I have to renew my mind. Brother, I have to renew my mind multiple times throughout the day. Let, can I just give you an example? Oh my gosh, you're talking about, I mean, today happens to be May 5th, as you said. I turned on the Today Show this morning. First thing I heard is that if we return back to work too soon, which there's a healthy, lively debate going on about that, we're going to see a tremendous increase in deaths. All of a sudden, I'm starting to worry. Got to renew my mind. I had to turn off the news and I had to renew my thoughts. Well, my next thought before I turned off the news was, if that means more and more deaths, that means there's going to be a delay of full engagement in society. Next thought, if there's a full engagement in society, we're not going to be able to go back to work. Next thought, that's going to result in more and more loss of income. Next thought, I've got staff members to think about. I'm responsible for them. Next thought, I've got family to think of. I have four sons. Two of them are still in college. Next thought, next thought, next thought. Before you know it, it's three o'clock in the afternoon and you've eaten two bags of Cheetos and five ice cream sandwiches and you're laid out on the couch, stretched out, full of despair. You feel me, brother? And so I multiple (laughs) times, that's a picture, multiple times throughout the day, I have to break away, take a breath, take a deep breath and renew my mind. Friends, I want to tell you something. It's as simple as this. It's as simple as getting up, turning off the television, the radio, the computer, and going and sitting outside for 30 minutes. Well, Rick, the weather's bad where I am. It's as simple as going to the front door and opening the door for 30 seconds and just breathing. Well, Rick, the weather is even so bad I can't open the door. It's as simple as moving to a different part of your house Mm -hmm. sitting down and just closing your eyes and just breathing, just breathing. Everybody can just breathe. It is really critical in a crisis that we learn to control what we can control. You can clear your mind. You literally can clear your mind. And here's the conclusions I come to. And I learned this from my neighbor who's an airline pilot. My neighbor who's an airline pilot says when they get in a crisis situation, they ask one question, are we still flying? Hmm. Now, that ain't bad, Kevin. (laughs) And so I sit down, and after hearing all the news and imagining all the negative scenarios, isn't it interesting how our mind goes to the negative case first? After listing all the negative scenarios, for me, go out to the patio, sit down for a few minutes, and I'll ask myself, in essence, Am I still flying? Am I still breathing? Can I still feel my heart? Am I okay? And I just calm myself down. Brother, the answer to your question is, we have the choice to renew our mind. We have the choice to think negatively. Go ahead. Go for it. Let us know how it works out. I'm there with you. We also have the choice to think positively. And here's the best start. Here's a great starter kit. I wonder what if. Wonder what if. Mm -hmm. I just wonder what if. I wonder what if things got better sooner than later. See, Kevin, I'm not talking about something I learned in a book, brother. I'm talking about driving 100 miles, not knowing where I am, screaming, Trina, please come back. Please come back. Why do you have to die? Getting in the car and driving 98 miles back home and the last two miles going, I wonder if I'll be able to live again. I wonder what if tomorrow is a little bit better than today. Kevin, listen to me carefully. Brother, I don't even think we've come close to tapping the surface of the power that is within our spirits within our minds, within our hearts that can literally transform our thinking.
Here's another question I wrote out of a conversation yesterday. If this is true, what else might be true? Mm. If this good thing, I'm not talking about in the bad thing, but if this positive thing in life is true, what else might be true? And just run with that rather than the what if scenarios that, you know, the negativity bias. I've got one other question before we start wrapping this up. And I hope you can address this in the time we have. But I heard a friend say this over the weekend. Misplaced hope is more dangerous than not having hope at all. Hmm. I don't want to judge what that person was trying to say. I would say it a different way because the reason I'm not ignoring or sidestepping the question, but I would love to know that person's definition of misplaced hope. Well, I can give you a little bit. And that is hoping that it's kind of what uh, Jim Collins related as the Stockdale paradox in Good to Great. Sure. Oh, we'll be out by Easter. This will be over in 30 days. Yeah. I got you. I got you. Misplaced hope. Yeah. Hung our hope on nothing. Yeah. Yeah. We just set an arbitrary condition for a hope. Yeah. Yeah. That's a misplaced hope. Yeah, yeah. Now I clearly see what you're saying. Yeah. The best way to answer that is I still believe that it's important and critical to have hope, but a huge component of hope is being realistic with your expectations. And so I think that misplaced hope can be dangerous if you're not looking at reality. I'll give you a classic example, and I hope not to be offensive. I really pray not to be offensive. I'm seeing too many of our national leaders say things that contradict the medical experts. And so is that hope misplaced? In my opinion, it is. And so I think it can serve as caution. At the same time, I believe that not having any hope at all provides death to the soul. Absolutely. Hope deferred does not make a man or a woman very happy. But I have to say that maybe I'm struggling with the word misplaced. Maybe I think what I would say if I could talk to that person is unrealistic hope or unfounded unfounded hope, just throwing things out, fairy tale hope. I mean, that's even reducing hope to wish fulfillment, to be quite honest with you. If I can go back to you, bedside of your wife, when she's battling illness. For people to come in and say, hey, Rick, everything's going to be okay. Yeah. She'll be all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's unfounded hope. Yeah. And I've seen people with someone at death's door just say something that is so well-meaning, but so unfounded. Yeah. And it didn't give hope. And you sit there and you go, really? That's the best you've got? Yeah. Hey, Rick. It may get tough. It may be real tough to lose your wife, but you know what? You're a strong man. You will get through this. Yeah. I believe that hope is idiosyncratic, meaning that it is unique to the person seeking the hope. So let's go back to Trina's bedside. What if I told you, Kevin, that I believed with all my heart that she would be healed to the day she died? I firmly believe that. My hope was based on the Holy Scriptures. Would you say that my hope was unfounded or unrealistic? Many did, but it was the only thing that kept me sane. It was the only thing that kept me going. So the reason why your question is so valuable, if your hope is perceived by me to be unfounded, if your hope, national leaders, is perceived by me to be ill-placed, but it keeps you moving forward, who am I to judge? And that's a good perspective and a great question because I had people who said, I had medical people who said, well, you better prepare for the worst. Well, my response is, how do you expect me to live with two boys? And how do you expect me to look in the face of a wife that is looking for any sign of hope in my eyes? How do you expect me to live like that while I'm preparing for the worse? And it had to be unique to my personality and to my belief system, right? And so for me, that hope, till the moment the doctor said, 
I'm sorry. We lost her. I'm so sorry. To that moment, I believed in hope because that was the only thing that kept moving me forward. Was it unrealistic? Probably to some. Was it unfounded? Probably to some. Was it not reality? Probably to some. It was 100% totally and completely my reality. So isn't it interesting how this question isn't as easily answerable than when we first started it five minutes ago? And frankly, I like that. Oh, me too. And when I leave this, I'm going to a session where we're talking about these tensions that we yeah. have to keep managing. Yeah. There's no easy answer. They're yeah. these tensions. So, Rick, a couple of things. What's the most hopeful way you want to conclude our time together? Before I answer that, can I just go back to something? So, you know what? It's interesting. As I was giving you this last answer, I was thinking about my response to the national leaders who weren't looking at reality the same way that I'm looking at reality without realizing that they may be operating from a different perspective where if they don't convince themselves of hoping it's going to get better, they can't perceive leading on regardless of my judgment, regardless of my criticism. And so I just think that that's a really good point that you've allowed us to think about and ponder and contemplate. There's nothing wrong with having tensions to navigate in our mind. So ask me that question again. What's the most hopeful way you want to wrap up? Yeah, I really believe with all of my heart that I have to think like this as a leader, but more so as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as a friend. I have expectation that not only will things get back to some sense of normalcy, I don't think we'll ever have normalcy ever again, just like we haven't since 9-11. But I have to believe that through this crisis, things will have the potential to be even better. Even better. Yeah. The best is yet to come. You and I both believe that. Yeah, yeah. Best is yet to come. Yeah. You know, we tend to think, Kevin, about just the plane crash, just the fact that the static port under the wing was accidentally covered by duct tape in flight 608 from Puro Air. We just look at the tragedy when a maintenance worker accidentally covered that. And that static port, as you know, provides vital information for the pilots in terms of altitude and everything. What we don't realize is that the tragedy produced all types of advancements that has pushed aviation far beyond where it was before the crisis. And so we have to believe that not only will we get through the crisis, but we will be better. We will be better. Yeah. So, Rick, where do people go to take a next step to get more of you? And part of that, what's the brand new opportunity launching tomorrow from the yeah. release date of this? So, if you hear this after the release date, you can go get this now. What's the opportunity for people to get more of Rick Rigsby? In the- Thank you. And I say more of Rick Rigsby is a good thing in your life. Thank you so much, Kevin. Dr. Rick Rigsby, that's all you need to remember, R-I-C-K. R-I-G-S-B-Y, drrickrigsby.com. My webpage will direct you to everything. Come and be a part of being encouraged and uplifted. Tomorrow, we start with a brand new launch, our much-anticipated podcast. The podcast is titled, How You Living? Just go to Dr. Rick Rigsby. Just Google Dr. Rick Rigsby. Just Google How You Living. Go to my webpage, go to my Facebook. It's Dr. Rick Rigsby, How You Living. And that title, by the way, Kevin, comes from some of the last words that my first wife said. My first wife, right before she died, she looked at me and she said, it doesn't matter to me any longer how long I live. What matters to me most is how I live. And so the podcast is titled How You Living. And you talk about hope personified. How about that kind of hope? where I'm not going to look at the situation, which is death. I'm not going to look any longer at how long I'm living. I'm going to look at improving the quality of my life every single day. Every single day. 
Rick, what a joy to have you here. <laughs> Love you, man. Big air hug, since that's all we can do at the moment. Thanks for joining. Kevin, I love you. God bless you, brother. Keep on keeping on. Love you, Rick. Thank you. Well, maybe now you know why I call Rick the hurricane of hope. So how's your hope? You, me, we need hope. Hope that is substantive. Something that we can anchor our hope in. I enjoyed the part of our conversation where Rick distinguished hope from strategy. The comment we've all heard, hope isn't a strategy. No, but I don't want a strategy that doesn't have hope in it. And hope is a foundational belief that we must have, and it actually underlies every strategy, every plan, or they are doomed from the beginning. I love Rick's definition of hope, a quality of every human spirit that places a transformative demand upon our heart to believe for the absolute best outcome. And especially those last few words, believe for the absolute best outcome. It's not a fantasy. It's not flippancy. But believing that no matter how difficult things get, there is an absolute best outcome awaiting us. And it helps us go through, through difficult times. Hey, it's my hope that your hope is strengthened through this conversation and that you have the grace and courage to get through whatever it is you're facing this day, this week, this month, and that you're encouraged to renew your mind, get rid of those thoughts that just aren't serving you well, and guard your heart. Keep it strong. Hey, you know my door is always open for you to contact me, and I love it when you do. You can email me, kevin at higherpurposepodcast.com, or you can call or text 678-744-5111. Hey, I hope you realize this, and I hope you remember it, that what you do today matters, and it makes a difference for someone else. So be a beacon of love and hope today. Thanks for joining. Hey, would you do me a favor and share this with a friend and then come back for more? I look forward to joining with you again soon. What could 10 days of gratitude do for you? Find out what hundreds of people have experienced and make a change that can last a lifetime at thegratitudechallenge.community because it's better when we do things together. 